Hello, podcast world, and welcome to another episode of Everything Under the AM Umbrella, brought to you by WeWe Media. And after a short hiatus, your boy is back and ready to rock. Uh, in the past, we've had experts in SMS marketing, Facebook marketing, e-commerce, and even crypto. But we've never had an expert in the mobile app marketing industry. And that's why I'm excited today. So, Auri, can you please tell these guys, our listeners who don't know who you are, what you're working on lately? Okay, so first of all, super happy to be here. Uh, thanks, John, for having me. It's my first podcast, so super exciting. Um, I'm happy that so, you gave me the opportunity um, to be your first uh, podcast. It was an easy one. <laughs> <laughs> so um, right now, what I do is um, I had the UA, the user acquisition at uh, Fifth Planet Games. It's a big gaming company um, that's uh, headquartered in um, Denmark, Copenhagen, and also has an office studio in Berlin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I also, um, I'm a paid UA consultant to um, more than a few companies, um, international. I have uh, clients in uh, APAC, in Korea, in India, US, Canada, Israel, of course, that's where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the third thing I'm doing, which is like a childhood dream I'm, I'm uh, fulfilling right now, is I work as a finder or a broker with M&A and investments in ad tech. Wow. Um, you, yeah. So uh, basically, uh, buyers come to me and I do some analysis and research on on interesting companies and I help the uh, seller side to make better negotiations. It's super interesting, super nice. Wow. That's uh, it's pretty interesting. And it sounds like you have, you know, quite a bit going on and on your plate. Um, So before we dive into what you're currently working on, you know, everybody's journey starts with the first step and um, let's dive deep into kind of how you got started into media buying and how you're introduced. So um, I think it was pure luck, basically. Um, I, was, uh, I was working as a sales manager at a company called DSNR. We used to sell uh, um, applications to the U.S. green card lottery. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like an international call center. Wow. I worked there for a long time, for almost five years. Um, and when I was a, a team leader, that was my final position there. When I uh, finished my position, I said, okay, I want to find myself. And part of the group was DMG, which was one of the biggest ad networks in the world at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the owner, the CEO of the entire group told me, you know, I could transfer you to DMG in a second if you, uh, if you wanted. Mm-hmm. And I did some research as I always do because I love doing research. And I saw that um, there was an opening in mobile media buying, which was, uh, we're talking 2010, right? 2011. 2010. So, yeah. Wow, you're approaching so, 10 um, years in, in advertising. The yeah, exactly. So, uh, advertising on Nokia devices, basically. <laughs> so, how, what kind of Nokia <laughs> devices? The oldest one you can think of. The ones with snake on it? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so I thought it's the future. I said, okay, mobile media buying sounds, mobile marketing sounds uh, intriguing to me. So, mm-hmm. so I, I pushed for starting as a mobile media buyer. It took some time. It was hard because uh, the former company didn't really want to um, give me up to another company in the group. So uh, mm-hmm. lots of politics as always, but uh Finally, someone fought hard for me and, 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 and I just started. So how was that when you kind of first uh, transitioned? Uh, did you have any, did you feel that you had any background or what kind of made you feel like you, you had potential at that position? Um, so I think that the, what, what, what uh, appealed for me the most was mm-hmm. that it was, First, uh, technology driven, mm-hmm. um, which I, I really wanted. I, I didn't work in technology before, so ad tech 
seemed, seemed like something super interesting in terms of learning new technology. It was, it, it seemed super challenging and I love a good challenge always. Uh, plus it was working, it was kind of, you know, media buyer analyst and account manager. So, so it was working with people and I was a good salesman. So I said, okay, um, I think I can do the transition from, from sales to, to customer success or account management. So mm-hmm. it, it kind of had all the uh, good checkbox uh, yeah. checkboxes uh, ticked. So what, uh, what exactly did you do at uh, DMG? It was media buying and did you kind of manage a team or how was your, I guess, uh, your stay there at, at DMG? Yeah, so I worked at DMG for about two and a half, almost three years. Uh, started as a junior uh, media buyer. It, it was a 360 position, right? So uh, we did media buying on the source uh, and we managed the client. Mm-hmm. Also, so you, you managed were, you the, wearing a lot of hats. Uh, yes, always. <laughs> I love that, hats. That's how you, uh, you kind of, you know, you get to learn a lot. You get to, you know, see everything from a different angle and it makes, it kind of, raises your business experience when you're able to see all the moving parts instead of, you know, just the traffic side or just the product side. Yeah, definitely. It's, it, it, it lets you taste everything. So mm-hmm. you can really understand. I think that it's a position that after you really know what, what you want to do, right? Yeah, if, yeah, exactly. If you want to continue in that world, you really know what you're good at. Are you good at business development? Are you good at sales? Are you good at managing publishers or managing advertisers? So I did it all. And, and, and for me, it was just doing it all, all the time. Cause, mm-hmm. cause I loved the fact that I had full control over the entire ecosystem, entire uh, ecosystem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And from DMG uh, with all that experience that you gathered from all the different uh, positions that you held, uh, what was your next stop? Uh, in the mobile marketing career? So I started as a junior media buyer at DMG, then became senior, then uh, I had a lot of, you know, big multi-million dollar brands. It was back at the time where there was not really um, mobile user acquisition for apps because the app stores were very, very immature at the time, very young. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I, I worked on mobile content Vas. Uh, mm, mobile content. Okay. Yeah. So for Nokia, it was it was uh, going well. Uh, that's how I kind of uh, see you uh, transition into your next yeah. position. Uh, okay. Okay. Exactly. And then, uh, so legend has it that I had a client at DMG. Um, uh, that's what the client says. That. Mm. Uh, I, I burnt uh, 25K dollars of their budget. Mm-hmm. And then I gave them, uh, they came to Israel. It was a Dutch uh, client. They came to Israel. I made a presentation basically showing them that, they, that their product might be great for desktop, but isn't mobile adapted. So, mm-hmm. so you kind of uh, called them out? If, yes. I, I, told them, I told them basically that they don't really make mobile products that well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that evening, one of the owners of the company told me, uh, <laughs> I, 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 need, I, need, I need you in my team to, to show me how to do it. Uh, um, so uh, I said no, obviously. What, what year was then, this? Um, it, the first time we met, I think it was 2012, Mm-hmm. And then only, I started in Amsterdam in, um, you know, early 2014. So uh, okay, it took okay. about 18 months till I said yes. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Uh, so they kept on kind of, you know, uh, trying to get you, yeah. trying to pull you over. Right. Yeah, every few months I, I would get a Skype saying, uh, uh, what do you need? Come to Amsterdam. What do you need from us? How can we... How can we uh, make you come to us uh, and and leave Israel? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, so you moved to Amsterdam. That was my next stop. Yes, to Creative Clicks. That was okay. the advertiser. 
And what did you, and, and, and what was the position that you took on there? I know you kind of pitched them uh, and you kind of critiqued so, their mobile product. Uh, what did you get into there? Yeah. So um, during the process, we added another Uri to the picture. We were the Uris. There was <laughs> another guy called Uri from, from, my, from my office at DMG. Mm -hmm. uh, and we got him on board. He was, so it was a really, really good partnership between us back at DMG. We were colleagues, but we, but we worked on the same, um, you know, big uh, advertiser together. So mm -hmm. we knew how we worked together. So we brought him on board and we made it uh, an URI's team. Oh, wow. And, so you guys and both and we started time. both, yeah, in three weeks apart. He even came before because I still had like a, uh, a vacation. Mm -hmm. um, so we started That's together and we got to, it, yeah, it, it was really easier to, to, to land in a new country, new culture. Mm -hmm. uh, cold weather versus Especially, yeah. sunshine. So, if you if you can go through yeah. a big transition um, like that with a with a trusted friend um, in a new country, I'm sure it made things a lot easier. Yes, so that was much much easier. Um, so we started um, building uh, a fresh new uh, media buying business for mobile. Mm -hmm. uh, and when we got there, it was all. Um, offers that would work well with uh, affiliate traffic. So like mm -hmm. uh, win an iPhone, sweepstakes. Uh, mm -hmm. um, and, and, and we had to change the entire design to fit to mobile. And we had to onboard new uh, sources, new publishers that are self-serve, that you can buy media on. Uh, and then uh, we came to them uh, a few months after we started and told them, let's change the, uh, to, a, to a new brand. So, so we took a brand uh, that's more uh, video on demand. Mm -hmm. So like, uh, like YouTube channels. And, and it was much more you know, branding related than, than, than pure performance. And, and, and the ROI was amazing. So, so, so the the cost was, you know, was negligent um, looking back because it was, it was a lot of cost for them to build the, the brand. Mm -hmm. But then I can three months after we started, it was ROI positive. So, wow. So uh, yeah. you, you came over, you kind of, you know, imprinted uh, your two uh, URI, URI, Team URI kind of style. Um, URIs, yeah. The URI style, and uh, you guys kind of, uh, you know, put your your uh, your own mark on it. And this is all still mobile content, right? Um, like subscription yes. services. Yeah, and exactly. mobile content. Um, okay, okay. And from, yeah, from then, running on on, how, on carrier traffic. So how big kind of did you grow that division? Um, how many more? Uh, Uri's did you bring in? Uh, how many did you train? <laughs> <laughs> we we had another Uri with a different Israeli name uh, later, <laughs> um, uh, and we 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 recruited people in Netherlands. Mm -hmm. uh, the team grew to about uh, ten people, I think, mm -hmm. um, and it was uh, super profitable, very high revenue. We also started um, working within uh, apps that time, so starting to buy media for apps. It was very, very young for, for buying media on CPM to CPI, um, but we had a few successes there as well, mm -hmm. um, but the, the major portion of revenue was, was from the um, in-house products of the mobile content. And how long did the did your tenure last at uh, Creative Clicks, or in that position? Um, I so I started in Creative Clicks. I was in Amsterdam for a year, and then I opened an office in Israel for them. Oh, okay, uh, so you Israel. So you moved back after a year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, after a year, uh, was a good experience. I was with my girlfriend at the time. That's now 
my wife and uh, mother of my child. Uh, so I proposed to her in the Netherlands. Um, so it was After a very, a very good experience for both of us. Uh, no, we, we were, she came to, with me to Amsterdam. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. We were, uh, yeah. No, that's we a nice were, story. Think, two years together before Amsterdam. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful love story. Uh, I'm going to oh. dive into that in a little so, bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, and then after, after three years at uh, Creative Clicks, uh, I went to start my own uh, DSP called Brightstorm within the Creative Clicks group. So how did, kinda, uh, how did that transition start from uh, you know, running your own mobile content product, driving traffic to it, monetizing it, and then you kind of uh, shifted over to wanting to start your own DSP? Uh, kind of where did that first start off and grow in your mind and kind of build, uh, I guess, for you, build up high enough uh, for you to kind of transition uh, into that role? What attracted you to that? So when, when I was at uh, Creative Clicks, um, apps really, really started, um, you know, taking traction in, in the mobile space. And a lot of regulations on mobile content made it much difficult, mm -hmm. much more difficult to, to, to make media buying super, super profitable because it went from, um, you know, uh, one-click flows to two-click flows with uh, lots of, you know, strict regulations. So um, I had to think of, of what I want to do next because I felt like mobile content is is – is like a milking cow already and mm -hmm. not in the growth stage. And that's where I, 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 I like to be enjoy. more in, yeah. in a growth stage. Yeah. The startup environment, the growth stage, uh, building stuff that, that, that aren't that too mature. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, first, so obviously everything in life comes with, with Noah, my wife, um, when we discuss, uh, so we were in, I remember we were in a vacation in Portugal uh, and we had a long drive and, and, and I said to her, what's my next move? What, what are we going to do next? Uh, and we thought about the uh, UA, the app world. We thought about uh, developing our own apps or developing a product or developing a platform. And, and uh, we zoomed in on, on, on developing uh, programmatic DSP for app marketing, mm -hmm. focused specifically on app marketing and retargeting for apps. So that was really where we thought programmatic, it, it, it was still um, a world very much dominated by, by, by affiliates and mm -hmm. not a lot of sources were doing uh, media buying. Mm -hmm. So, so we thought that could be super interesting to, to explore. And just to give me a, like a little brief inter, uh, brief background of, uh, of Noah, your wife, what is, uh, her experience? Cause it seems like, you know, she's, she has a quite a bit of knowledge, quite a bit of experience and, uh, you know, for you guys to come up with this together, uh, she must have, you know, some sort of experience in the industry. So um, first of all, regardless to anything, she's uh, the smartest person I know. So uh, I, she always has a, a very interesting angle on mm -hmm. on anything, basically. Mm -hmm. um, but but Noah and I met at work, so we know how to work together. She, when I was at DMG, she was at another company in the group called uh, DMI that that was doing Facebook advertising. And we're talking 2010. So Facebook was really yeah. an uncharted territory. So mm -hmm. it was probably the hardest um, place to be at. It was very, very high potential and could bring super incredible results. Mm -hmm. But it was very, very challenging. But she was there for the product side. She developed a product for them with an algorithm and performance. And she was, she's always... Uh, she was always attracted to the product side. Mm -hmm. And when we wanted to start uh, um, 
Brightstorm. So she was very much into understanding the product, understanding the algorithm, uh, how to make um, performance for mobile apps because back then it was very, very difficult to make um, CPM to CPI. Um, so we decided to, to give it a try, basically. Nice. And, uh, you know, it's, that's a great love story. Number one, you know, finding, a, finding your soulmate, uh, the way you talk about her, it seems like you guys have a great relationship. And then on top of that, to become business partners is another one because to find a business yeah. partner that you kind of get along with and trust and, and kind of vibe with is hard um, in general. And it being your wife is, is you know, it's a, it's a careful, I guess, balance that you have to play. And if it works out for you, then that, you know, I'm happy for you. It sounds great. Yeah. Well, I, I, you don't understand how many um, people told me, are you crazy working with your wife? <laughs> so it's it's definitely not something I that, would recommend to mm -hmm. to everyone because it really requires, um, as you said, walking on eggshells sometimes, or 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 going or or keeping the balance. But we, I think that the fact that that we worked together before we were even uh, boyfriend girlfriend. Uh, made it made it much easier because because she understands the ecosystem she understands uh, media buying she understands product side so when we used to dive into professional discussions it was never um, oh schmoopy it was more um, professional and professional serious and business so, yeah yeah I mean as long as yeah. you guys can kind of draw the line and uh, you kind of understand each other, then, you know, it's not common to everybody else, but it, it can obviously work. And I, I'm pretty sure there's been a quite a few times you guys kind of tell each other like, Hey, you know, these outside world doesn't know, uh, you know, we know that we work. Yeah. <laughs> that's all that kind of matters and results will kind of prove that. So um, from there, uh, kind of how big did Brightstorm grow? What kind of uh, experiences did you learn uh, from Brightstorm building that company from scratch? Um, and I'm, I'm interested to know kind of how you, the way you build your teams, uh, you've been in so many different uh, positions before starting, always seems like you're starting from a lower position all the way kind of building to a bigger company. So I'm interested in the way you, you kind of hire and manage your, your employees. Uh, how big did Brightstorm get? And I guess how far along in did you kind of make your first hire? And, you know, since it's be, it's a company run by you and your wife, it's, it must be, it was a, must have been a difficult process to bring someone in because now, you know, that third or fourth person is working with uh, a married couple and it must have been a, an interesting dynamic. For sure. Um, so when we started, um, um, uh, the first hire was, you know, a month after we started. Um, mm -hmm. we, we had someone in mind. Um, we knew that he's um, quite experienced in this world and, 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 and we immediately made a hire so that we could focus on building everything and having someone that could do the day-to-day the -day, the operations, the managing of, of, of clients and, and partners. Um, in, in terms of hiring and recruiting, um, since I started at DMG and I was always a 360 position, mm -hmm. we tried doing something different. Um, we had at DMG, we had two major divisions. We had the DSP side, the product side, and we mm -hmm. had an agency side, which was more CPI related mm -hmm. uh, with non-direct advertisers like big agencies and, and, and working with, with CPI publishers. So we had someone always doing that work because it's more um you know like a cat and mouse game mm -hmm. of uh pushing the stores and 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 getting the advertiser to give you feedback and then working with uh, fraud tools and so it's a lot of specific work that that you need someone to do hands-on you cannot really run a company and do hands-on uh um 
a position like uh, a CPI account manager mm-hmm. um, and, and really grow it. So, so even though it was bootstrap, we always had someone doing the day to day and we wanted to focus on really the business. And obviously, you know, um, since it was the first time for me to run a business, to, to open a business myself, I did run independent business units within companies, mm-hmm. but it was the first time where the it's, PNL is all me. Is your, it's your money yeah. on the line. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, we also have investors. Uh, so we had to, to run that relationship. It's, it's, it's a lot of work um, in between just managing the day-to-day. So um, the recruiting, we always had, um, we prepared from the start uh, training sessions. First two, three weeks, we would uh, show them presentations of what, what an account manager is, mm-hmm. what are the publishers. We used to, when we, when we hire junior account managers, so it's like teaching them a new language from, from, from scratch, right? From A to mm-hmm. Z. They don't know what CPC, CTR, CPI, CPM. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's really teaching them a new language. And, and I, I had a, a, an experience when I started at DMG that was really plunging to the deep water uh, and was a bit like scary, which I'm, I'm, I'm not sure everyone should do. Mm-hmm. So we tried to make it, uh, in my company, we try to make it as, you know, as step-by-step graduate as possible. Some, some hand-holding so, in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the person doesn't feel that he's too stressed, that he's... So, so he feels he can make mistakes because mistakes is the only way to become a good account manager. If you make uh, a few thousand dollars mistakes, that means that... that you probably are going in, in the right direction in this business. At least you're trying and, and you're taking risks. So yeah. uh, one question I yeah. want to ask when you're, when you're looking to add people to your team, do you prefer hiring, like you said, junior people and, and training them uh, from step one, kind of the way you do things? Or have you ever hired a senior person who came in with their experience and kind of the way they did things and they kind of had habits that maybe didn't mesh with you? Uh, with the style of, uh, I guess, business that you do, uh, did, did you ever have that kind of, um, situation? So I think in three and a half years, we made at least 20 or 30 recruits, right? Some of them didn't last, some of them lasted, but, um, it's, it's, we, at first, we thought, okay, this is a bootstrap business. Let's go with juniors. Mm-hmm. And then you adapt during the time um, to, to really understand what you need in a specific time. I, I don't really have um, a 100% method. I'm not a black and white kind of person. Mm-hmm. Um, some, some things a junior can't do for you right if you're now looking to grow exponentially with the biggest brands in the business from and and usually getting the biggest brands takes some kind of connection in this industry yeah so you're probably not going to get it from a junior account manager but if you're looking for someone that has that has the you know that that's hyped and has hunger in his eyes and he's passionate about what he's doing then in most cases um juniors are 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 the ones to go with because they have a lot of energy and Mm -hmm. and if you're hiring for let's say an account manager or sales manager after two three years in this industry um some people tend to it wears you out because it's 24 seven. Yeah. It's, and, and it's, it's, it's demanding. Yeah. It's high pressured and we work exactly. in a global industry, right? So it's like, like you said, it's 24 seven. There's always something to do and there's always kind of yeah someone calling you or needing something from you. Yeah. Uh, it's, so, and, and you know, it is Israelis are also super hardworking uh, demanding <laughs> as, as a people. So, yeah, very hardworking. So you get people 
working on Saturdays and Sundays. And so it's hard. It's hard because, because people are starting, you know, super fast and sometimes they get worn out quite quickly. So you need to, to balance that with your uh, employees as well. So you said that, uh, your, your stop at Brightstorm or, or your time at Brightstorm was around three and a half years. Yeah. And kind of how did you transition into your advisor positions now and kind of when, when did you, or why did you leave Brightstorm by the way? So, um, I, I, I would have to say that the end of Brightstorm for me was in very, very good terms. Let's put it this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we gave uh, the product back t- to the company um, and it was an amazing experience. And, and I felt that I want to try something new again because every, probably every three, four years. Um, in Hebrew, we say um, we have uh, thorns up our, up our back, butts. Mm-hmm. So basically, I, um, I'm, I'm, I had uh, an urge to, to get started with something new. Mm-hmm. And I wanted something that's 100% myself, uh, mm-hmm. 100% working uh, with various customers. So I decided I'd, I'd try um, consulting for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so... And, and uh, I thought what would be super interesting for me to work with, obviously paid UA is what I've been doing the past uh, years, even at Creative Clicks before moving to Brightstorm. I work with that. Um, yeah, we made quite a bit of money I've, together when you were at Brightstorm. Exactly. Yes, we did a lot. <laughs> um, it was a good time. It was, it um, was. And, and it, it was always, you know, I... I I experienced so much when you run your own business in, in paid UA, you experience so much um, different platforms and different tools and different types of companies. So you build a lot of connections. And um, fortunately, it was quite easy to find people that were willing to work with me as a consultant. Well, based on your experience, um, I'm assuming like, you know, that made things easier uh, to transition into a consultant because you've, number one, like you said, built relationships at your previous positions. And you've also, like you said, backtracking all the way to DMG, you wear a lot of hats. So uh, I would say that being an advisor or a consultant yeah. role is something that's natural uh, to you at this point in your career. Yeah, and it's it's kind of it makes it easier because since I was doing various positions in mobile advertising, it's it's fairly easy for me to come to a company and tell them what do you need, um, mm-hmm. which which side you you need improvement. Uh, do you need a product, a better product? Do you need a better um, business development? Do you need sales? You need a better team. You need better international expansion. Um, are you looking to buy media on on on, on your own? Um, mm-hmm. So it, it makes it quite easier because you really talk to the company about their, their honest needs. needs, their immediate yeah. needs, not not what you need to bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you kind of just kind of so, connect the dots so, like that and, and you do a, I would say you can, you can easily analyze a company and their needs and, you know, draw from your experience uh, and, and kind of implement it into their business. Yeah. And sometimes I think that one of the things I realized this past year working as a consultant is that I knew that before, but, but it really, you know, was much um, stronger for me to understand it at first hand is how much lack of trust this industry has. Mm-hmm. It's, um, every company that I talk to that wants help with finding trusted publishers or good advertisers or good agencies, everyone talks about the, the, the lack of trust because there is so much saturation of fraud in this industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So a lot of the companies just come to me and tell me, please help me find new trusted uh, companies to work with. Um, so that makes it much um, more appealing to someone to start working with me because it's not just a connection. It's also about the fact that I always had uh, full control over what I buy. That's, that was always the most important thing for me. I don't like buying from black boxes too much. I always prefer a self-serve. I always prefer buying um, top premium channels. I always prefer buying on, on uh, top of the funnel for impressions and not buying on, on, on cost per install or, or cost per event or stuff like that because mm -hmm. usually... CPI, the, I think the major problem is that there's a big incentive to publishers to create fraud when they get paid for installs or events. Yeah, yeah. That's that. I don't think the New York Times will ever care about installs if they sell on CPM. That's the ma major thing here. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming that because like your advisor role, you've over the past year, you've talked to quite a few companies and you kind of have a, a solid perspective on the state of mobile advertising today. And because you've been in the industry for almost 10 years or, or 10 years now, uh, I'm pretty sure that you've seen uh, the industry change uh, from when you first got into now. And uh, that's something I want to talk about was like kind of the trends of the past and present uh, and the future of what you kind of see coming. Uh, so I guess over the years, how, how have you seen the, the mobile industry evolve uh, from when you first came in or when you first started doing it, uh, running apps, uh, to now? Uh, what do you see and what kind of trends you, do you see upcoming? Yeah, so if we're looking at the apps marketing world, um, when I first started, it was more um, the Wild West. Um, mm -hmm. Not really, uh, not a lot of tech, a lot of um, no fraud tools were rarely used. Yeah. Um, the MMPs weren't, weren't too big as they are now. They weren't close to being a billion dollar company. Um, and so I think, first of all, technology evolved immensely um and both on the traffic side of companies that started doing a lot of innovative things um you know just um, for as an example um playable ads companies that that are doing playable ads for games or for other um, verticals is something that's quite new in this uh, ecosystem, and it's 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 super engaging. It's uh, I love the innovation stuff. Um, also, the MMPs have taken a major major role in uh, the game here, uh, since they're really, you know. Um, Let's wait one sec. Okay. So the MMPs have taken a major role in, in, in taking over all the um, platforms, all the publishers on each side. And uh, advertisers feel that they can trust someone more than before. Mm -hmm. um, and... I also think that a lot of the companies and a lot of um, the media sources evolved a lot. Social media is much, much stronger than it was before. Mm -hmm. uh, we have TikTok, which was non-existent uh, until three years ago. Mm -hmm. um, so there are a lot more options than you could have had when you started a, like a, a campaign as an up marketer. Um, say four or five years ago, mm -hmm. and you, you would say that it like it was definitely a lot easier back then to make uh, some money running apps than it is now. 
um, for sure, at, at the time, I remember when I uh, you had uh, burst campaigns starting on a Friday till Sunday, spending 200K on incentivized traffic. Yeah, so, incentivized uh, traffic. Wow. Still something that's there, but, but yeah, but, but, but that's, that, that, was, that was paid UA. Mm-hmm. It was just trying to take number one in the charts and, yeah. and, um, and get the organic from there. Mm-hmm. And right now, also, when, app, when the app stores like Google Play and the Apple Store evolve, they no longer um, pick only the amount of downloads as, 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 as a rating for top charts. Mm-hmm. So everything had to evolve. And, and, and now even a company that is on soft launch and doesn't want to spend too much money on, on paid UA, not spending millions, but spending only, uh, say, $50,000, $50, they still have a chance to make it ROI positive. Um, and before, it was very, very much dependent on, on how much the publisher um, was genuine and not giving you everything fraud. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it's, it's just impossible to give so much fraud because so the industry has evolved so much. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much fraud detection tools. So technology and, has definitely changed. Yeah. And, and advertisers or, or product owners. Yeah. Now it's, have, it's, yeah. It's now a game of, of, of technology more than just, uh, who does the most downloads per uh, weekend? Mm-hmm. So, if you can remember um, when you first started out, what was one of your, I guess, your best campaigns or kind of the campaign that really got you started in in apps? Where you're like, "Wow, I can't believe this is I'm making this type of money pushing, uh, promoting this app." What were the type of the the, the campaigns that kind of got your feet wet? Um, in Brightstorm, I think the best campaign we had was hotels.com. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was super interesting to work with such a major brand. We had a campaign with, I think 10 GOs on iOS, mm-hmm. uh, running on, on the DSP. Um, <laughs> the results were incredible. Um, and so it, it's, it was so different working with such a big brand that gives you budgets just for testing. They'd give you 60 K, um, for, for, for a test budget mm-hmm. when other, uh, advertisers would give you 10 or 15 in the best case. So it was very easy to scale. Um, it was super interesting to work with the brand guidelines. We, we made creatives for them. We designed creatives for them. So, so we had to work with super strict brand guidelines. Um, and it was really, really a fun experience to, to work with such a brand. I would, I would watch uh, champions league, uh, at night looking at hotels.com signs and tell them this is my client guys. <laughs> so, it was <laughs> it, so working with with uh, a client that can sponsor the Champions League was was I think one of the first times I I, I, I even had a chance to work with such a brand. You probably you know took a step back and be like wow you know this is uh, this is cool you know I'm working with legit brands and and helping them kind of build uh, their brand basically and their their product globally. Yeah. Yeah, and, and actually right now working um, with Fifth Planet Games, um, I'm working with a new game called uh, Tintin Match. And Tintin is also a very well-known brand. Um, mm-hmm. So just starting a campaign there, looking at the conversion rates, at the install rates, the CDRs is also a bit mind-blowing compared to what I know from other very saturated uh, gaming brand, so it's also super nice. So I'm I'm still enjoying it. So, mm-hmm. And uh, I guess what uh, when we fast forward down to today, um, 2020, 
uh, I was just doing a little bit of reading before um, before our call here, and I was reading a uh, business of apps, and they kind of kind of they were they were showing that e-commerce has grown uh, a lot uh, in 2020, and actually it's on record pace to uh, for e-commerce sales in the U.S. Uh, for 2020. So, does the industry look very healthy moving forward? Uh, has has it been affected by you know, the whole COVID situation this year. Uh, how does the mobile industry look moving forward to you? So it's, it's quite interesting because we're in a digital space. So um, luckily for us, um, I don't think mobile advertising, if you look at the entire um, budgets uh, at 2020 global, um, there's a big chance that they're actually better from what I, uh, I read. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of brands did definitely suffer from COVID. Um, for example, we just talked about hotels.com. I guess that their budgets were decreased s- a lot this year. <laughs> I, I would say so. Yeah, that would make sense. <laughs> yeah. So a, a lot of, you know, travel brands, um, and also, uh, you know, I was working with an, uh, like, a, a physical dating app. So going to bars in London and mm-hmm. stuff like that, that also these, these types of, of physical life apps are also probably down in budgets and, and suffered a lot. But, um, from, from what I read, gaming, uh, shopping, obviously fitness, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. VOD apps are all booming higher than ever. Yeah. 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 Because people are, are at home playing with their mobile. That's, that's what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And, and from what I've seen, like, uh, like e-commerce sales are up as well. Um, actually 73% from what I read online, 73% of e-commerce sales are actually done on your mobile device. So that kind of, Shows you, like you said, everything from shopping to gaming to fitness uh, as certain products kind of take a backseat or, or look to regroup. Um, there's other products, like you said, that are doing better than ever. So it, there, is a, there is a trade-off and it's interesting to see how uh, you know, things are moving forward. Uh, which brings me to my next question of something that you know, has been all over the internet, somebody, uh, a topic that everybody's kind of excited about is uh you know ios 14 uh i've i've updated my iphone uh last week and uh you know i'm sure that you have a lot of thoughts about how this is going to affect uh mobile marketing and uh you know for users uh it's good because it it ups the privacy uh portion of it but for for advertisers i mean for publishers and and marketers uh, it must be a little bit scary or, uh, you know, give us your point of view on, on how it's, how it's going to be. So it's definitely the most asked questions I get asked the uh, last few months when I talk to anyone in this industry. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely an earthquake. Uh, I don't remember anything quite like this because um, we, we mentioned technology before. A lot of the companies build their technology based on the idea phase, based on device IDs. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, doing retargeting without device IDs is very, very <laughs> difficult. Um, and lookalikes, uh, profiles of, on basically any platform that has lookalike profiles, mm-hmm. or even doing suppression lists of, of users. In, in programmatic, you do a lot of suppression lists of users that already downloaded the app, so you don't target them. And that's all out the window now with uh, iOS 14 coming uh, early next week. It was supposed to be this September, but it was delayed till early next year probably, um, which, you know, there was a sigh of relief mid-September when people understood that it's not happening right now and they still have a few more months to adapt. Um, but it's, it's going to affect everybody, basically iOS 14. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm, I don't think it's, it's, uh, I don't think iOS budgets are really going anywhere. They might be on the short term, on the short term, 
probably a lot of the budgets are going to get cut big time. Mm-hmm. But in the long term, it's a, it's a technology-based uh, environment. So technology is going to, to take over and, and we're going to move on iOS from deterministic to probabilistic attribution and lifetime value predictions. Um, I'm guessing from my experience and, and doing it myself that uh, incrementality testing, um, which means basically to really understand the incremental lift that um, your advertising has on the organic users or on the organic uh, revenues is something that's going to be much, much stronger after iOS 14. Um, but definitely everyone everyone are, are worried that, that uh, budgets are going to get cut uh, immediately. The only one that's not really worried is Apple. Yeah, because, I was going to say, is Apple themselves. Yeah. They've taken control. Yeah, because Apple search, yeah, Apple search doesn't need consent from the users. Mm-hmm. So... Apple search is probably going to leap their revenues. Their revenues are going to leap overnight, um, taking over. I think, you know, if, if you ask me, I think um, if we look at like a global perspective, it's probably more like a power move by Apple on mm-hmm. Facebook and Google, mm-hmm. but and, and, and others, you know, social that are taking over their uh, revenues from advertising. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's just an earthquake to everybody. Everybody's affected. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess you know that kind of takes us to your next uh, current position at, at Fifth Planet Games, and uh, you mentioned it briefly uh, earlier. Uh, you started just a few months ago. You said August thirty first. Yes, I started just a few weeks ago, even. Um, Actually, um, they came to me. Um, I was approached by LinkedIn by one of their uh, executive, one of their senior executive. Um, and I started right now uh, as head of UA. It's a super interesting project, actually. It's for a new game, new game title called Tintin Match. Uh, they launched on both app stores on August 31st. Just downloaded um, it, actually. And... <laughs> It's it's super addictive. Uh, I I I got to level seventy myself, so uh, uh, it's a really really nice casual game, um, match three uh, like a puzzle game, mm-hmm. um, and it's available in in we're we're now we're launching globally, um, and I'm doing their paid UA. So the team is really really quality people. I, I'm I'm enjoying every minute actually. So it's uh so you know that's great and it sounds like you have like a, a few different roles to kind of balance balance everything uh, in terms of you your your advisor, your head of UA here, um, and you also obviously have a personal life with your your wife and child. How do you kind of balance everything and uh, you know has it has it been difficult doing so many different kind of professional roles or it's something that kind of you've, you've learned to, I guess, master. Uh, Until last week, I would tell you that um, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the balance just fine, Mm -hmm. but we got into lockdown in Israel since Friday. So, so the balance took a hit (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, and now, and now, uh, trying to adapt to a new normal with um, my kid attending uh, Zoom meetings with uh, with uh, with my clients. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I, I, actually, I, I think that the COVID situation has a very big advantage in it. That um, people, first of all, for a global community like uh, ad tech it's much, much easier to work remotely. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also, company owners started understanding that there's no other option. You have to start being able to, to, to adapt to working from home as, as an industry, not just as a company. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
it's it's easier when working from home and 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 doing it but um i always try to find as much time as possible for being with my kid being with my wife mm-hmm. um with my friends um i i don't like to call it life work balance because it's all life right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but 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 you you have to think about what really matters because um, yeah. if you yeah. spend uh, 12 14 hours a day just working you'll miss out on on i i keep always reminding myself that uh my son will never be a three again. and a half again yeah 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 so so you have to to give time to what matters in life also mm-hmm. and i think you know a lot of like uh i guess covid has kind of put people in that place of uh it's given people more time with their kids. Some, some parents are now even uh, their kids' teachers. Uh, you know, if, if your son was a little bit older, he'd be in elementary school doing uh, Zoom meetings with his teachers and you kind of got to walk him through the lessons. And I, and I have a few friends uh, going through that right now, uh, balancing yeah. being the, the kid's teacher as well as taking care of work. And um, it, it's, it's forced people to adapt. And like you said, it, you have to make time for, you know, what really matters. And I think that people had some time over the past, over this past year to, to reflect. Um, so yeah. Uh, are you grooming your son into a, a huge football fan like yourself? Um, no comment. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I'm, 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 I'm too crazy probably, but uh, I'm a huge football fan. Uh, I have season tickets with, um, Maccabi Tel Aviv, my team, for I think twenty-three years straight. Wow. Um, going to years the straight? you know to the twenty-three years with with the season tickets. Wow! And who do you who um, do you usually watch the game with? Um, I have a friend that I go to football with since I'm fifteen, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, so. It, he was it was a neighbor and and our friendship started because of that and now uh you know both of us were uh c levels uh, executives uh mm-hmm. and and still going to the crazy fan stand every every game mm-hmm. uh with covid i haven't seen my team for i haven't been in the stadium for 6 months it must be weird like for that. you it's so hard. It's, it's so different watching a game on TV. Yeah, I can imagine. And I think, uh, so I, I grew up playing basketball and I was able to play like professionally for a bit in the Philippines and, uh, Philippines has some very, they love their basketball. Uh, they're very passionate about it. They, and I thought that they were the most serious fans in the world. And then, uh, I think a few years ago I attended my first football game in, in, in UK, I watched uh, Tottenham versus Arsenal, and uh, derby. I, I could not believe it. Like it was they they're crazy. Like uh, <laughs> I thought that basketball fans were crazy, but when I see football fans, like you know, just the whole um, you know going to the game outside the game, you know, people are you know just so rowdy and into it, and then you know they can't at the at the arena. You couldn't even serve alcohol during the game because people just can't kind of drink and watch so they you know during the intermission they they go outside they have their drink and then you come back in and then after you go to the pub and like like you said like uh there's so many chants there that you know these these fans like you know it's in their blood um and it's it's fun to watch and it was a very very good cool experience for me uh and actually turned me into a football fan after that so and 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 just think about it that english fans are considered a bit moderate compared to other crazy fans in the world so i was in argentina for the uh, boca juniors versus river plate uh, game it's like the mm. most hated um rivals in history probably mm. and 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 i i went there to their you know to their crazy fan stand behind the the goal 
it was the best experience in my life. It was so much passion, mm-hmm. chanting like crazy for 90 minutes during the game. It was really the, it, it was a dream come true for me. Wow. So that's, that's, that's what I love about football. I love going to the stand. I feel, it, it feels like, I know it, it's, it, it doesn't really have any, I'm a statistics guy, right? It's performance mm-hmm. advertising. <laughs> so I don't really know the statistics of how much my chanting affects my team. But, um, but it feels I good. I feel like it, it, it affects, yeah, it feels good. It feels like you're, you're doing something. And now looking at empty stands during COVID yeah, it's, and, it's quite and weird. not being there, it breaks my heart. I can imagine. And I like, uh, I'm not that much of a diehard fan as you are for my Toronto Raptors uh, when we won the championship. But last week we got eliminated from the playoffs. And like you said, people are there in, uh, they call it the NBA bubble where, you know, they go in there and there's no fans in the stands and it's, you know, it's just a weird atmosphere. And yeah, I, I was quite disappointed and sad last week when we got eliminated. So I can relate being, being a sports fan. Um, so yeah, to kind of yeah. end this, uh, really interesting podcast episode and we covered so much, uh, I'd like to end it off on a kind of a random note, uh, very light and just machine gun type of, uh, questions. And you just kind of think of the first thing that pops into your mind. Sound cool? Shoot. All right. Um, question Shoot number one, me. what's your favorite movie quote? Ah, that's an easy one. Um, the one from uh, the Batman movie mm-hmm. um, back up again. I used to, I used to send it to to clients <laughs> when when results were were a bit bad or a bit worse. <laughs> that's always a good way to say, okay, you know, you, you learn from your mistakes and and you just keep on moving. Yeah. Um, exactly yeah. next question is what was the most rewarding advice you received um, I'd have to say that my dad always taught me to not being afraid to take to take risks and, and make mistakes because worst case you'll, you'll just learn from it um, it helped me a lot to make mistakes and to learn from them as long as you're not afraid, you're always going to kind of come out um, learning something from a mistake, what not to do or how you could have handled it better. So a lot of people try to be perfect, but actually that, that's not the right way to approach things. Uh, and I'm a, I'm a, I also agree with you. Yeah. It, it, you'll just end up, yeah, you'll just end up being scared for every move mm-hmm. and not taking decisions. All right, and the last question that I kind of want to ask is, uh, you know, a cliche type question, but uh, everybody looks at it differently. How do you define happiness? Um, I'd, I'd have to say it's um, happiness is, is a moment. It's just a small moment in life. It's, it's a moment of elevation for me, not something too big. It, it's just a moment when you feel that your smile is complete, that, that you're smiling from, from, um, from within. That's for me like a, a feeling of happiness in the moment. Mm-hmm. Living in the moment. And sometimes that's actually yeah. quite hard to do. Uh, some people have kind of think too much ahead or they you know, dwell on the past, but living in the moment and if you can be happy exactly where you are, that's, that's a very powerful feeling. Yeah, that's uh, it's it's something that that you have to practice. I think to yeah, really understand yeah, exactly what, what's important and how to feel real happiness in the moment, and not search for like endlessly searching for something else. So uh, yeah, and that kind of concludes our our podcast episode. And honestly, like you and I go back a few years and. We've made a, we've talked a lot on Skype. We've had a few meetings. We've gone through a few chargebacks. We've gone through a lot of money making together. <laughs> uh, but yeah. you know, this, this podcast episode has actually, you know, I've learned stuff about you that I, I never even knew, you know, a few years ago. 
uh, when we were talking on almost on a daily basis. So uh, I'm happy that this brought us together and, you know, and uh, you shed some light on the mobile marketing uh, industry and shared your story. I was super happy to, to jump on the podcast with you. Um, thanks a lot. It's a, it's a big compliment that you got me here and it was fun. Yeah, for sure. Living the moment, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So thanks a lot, Uri. And uh, say, hello, say hello to your son and your wife for me. Uh, and I will. Enjoy. Uh, I'll, I'll let you know how, what I think about Tintin. I'm about to start playing it right now. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> All right. Take care. And, and if you can do an in-app purchase, that would be great. <laughs> for sure.